Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. No, I actually ministered this word last Sunday at Anchor Faith Church, St. Augustine. And as I was praying, you know, I said, Lord, what do you want to say to the congregation? The Lord said, it wasn't just for your location. And, um, you know, so if you've been on our YouTube, you subscribe to us, and you've been actually keeping up with all of our messages, it's not out there. So you would have not have heard it yet anyway. And, um, but I think it's very significant in light of what's happening. Uh, have you noticed the shifts happening happened in your church since Kingdom Rise? Since Pastor Mark came back from St. Augustine and Dr. Gee showed up and ministered concerning some things. Let's do it again. And um, I know Pastor Mark's been ministering along these lines concerning revival, and we ourselves have as well. Um, but I think it's very important for us to understand where we're going. Because here's the problem that I found with believers, not with the lost. I don't have a problem with the lost at all. Lost are easy. They're really easy. It's believers that we have the most problem with is because somewhere along the line, believers decide they do not want to change their thinking anymore. They get satisfied with the idea that when I die, I go to heaven. And the minute you get satisfied that when you die, you go to heaven, you actually are in the same religion that everyone else in the world's in. And I don't care that Jesus Christ is your Lord. Now, why do I say that? If you were following Muhammad, the prophet in Islam, then you would believe that there's a better life after this one. If you were following Buddha, you would believe that once you died, and if you lived it right, you would be absorbed into the all, and there would be a better existence for you. If you were into uh, you know, Mormonism, then you would believe that you would get called into a kingdom that's better once you died. And if you quit renewing your mind to the word of God, even if you've confessed Jesus as Lord and recognizes his death, burial, and resurrection that is giving you life with God, and all you're doing is waiting to die to go to heaven because it's going to be better, then you've basically assimilated to the same religions of the world. There's a distinct advantage to the gospel we preach because God wasn't waiting for you to show up. In fact, if you actually read the Bible in its entirety, starting in Genesis 1-1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, correct? Notice he's in heaven and he creates an earth. He creates a place that he doesn't want to be away from, but he actually showed up and visited often. When he created Adam in the garden, he did not say, man, I can't wait till you and Eve die and y'all get up here. That is not even in the first two chapters. In fact, the first two chapters let us know that God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion on the earth to rule, to reign, to reign as kings in the earth. And God was not limited to his relationship with them because they weren't with him in heaven. In fact, he showed up on the earth all the time. And then he says to his man, you can eat of any tree of the garden, but of the tree of the uh, knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat for the day you eat you will surely what? die so we always say and we've said it often and it bears repeating if Adam had never eaten the fruit where would he be today since he would be here 
Why have we accepted a gospel of Jesus that's contrary to the gospel Jesus actually preached? Because we see God kept, he came down and walked with Adam in the cool of the day. It wasn't until he sinned that a separation took place and hindered God's activity with humanity. Now, that didn't stop him from showing up. Did he not come down on the prophets when he anointed them? Did he not come down on the priests? Did he not come down on the kings with the anointing? Did he not show up in the earth still and talk to a guy named Noah and says, listen, I'm going to get rid of everybody, but I'm going to save you and your family? It's amazing how many times God comes down. Then when Jesus shows up on the planet, he says, now, when we all begin to pray, let's pray this. Our Father, not his Father, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be on earth. So God is very passionate. In fact, the name of Jesus itself, he said to, uh, the angel said to Mary, he said, you'll name him Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. When? Now, if you're born again, you have to admit that the third person of the Godhead called the Holy Ghost actually lives in you, which means God in heaven sent the third person called the Holy Ghost to come and live inside your skin suit to bear witness with your spirit. He's not like, I can't wait till you die and get here. He's like, I get to come and get up inside you right now and let's have a conversation. I'm not waiting for you to come up. I came down. Hallelujah. But I've noticed over the years that when believers go through trials in life and situations in life, they'll all of a sudden quit allowing their minds to be renewed to the Word of God. They're just waiting to die to be with Him. And make no mistake about it, to be in heaven with the Lord is far better. I get it. Paul said that. But now I do want to say this about Paul because this is context. Paul was doing the actual will of God. So he said... You know, to live is Christ, to die is gain. He said, I'm betwixt between two places where they go on to be with the Lord, which is far better. And why would it be far better for him? Because I'm actually doing the will of God for my life. Not sure it would be so great to stand before the Lord knowing you didn't do his will at all. All right? So we, if we had to change our thinking, meaning we had to renew our minds and realize we can't get in a right relationship with God unless we confess Jesus is Lord, that our works in and of themselves, our good works, our desire to do what we thought was right, because there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end is what? Death. None of it was right, and all of a sudden I'm confronted with this man named Jesus, God in the flesh. And so we changed our thinking that I can actually, I will have a relationship with God only on this thought that I must make Jesus Lord of my life. Well, you know what? There's many more things we need to change our thinking about. That's why Paul said to renew our minds, that we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. How many of you believe you know everything there is to know about God? Oh, nobody. Which means then, he is the only one who has a right to define himself, you don't. I came out of denominational church myself growing up. And basically, they taught Jesus died on the cross, rose from the grave. You need to be born again. And that was it. Live good. No other truth of God's word was spoken of. But somewhere along the line, I just decided that I got hungry for God, 
And I'm like, I'll just read the Bible myself. And when I began to read the Bible myself, there were a lot of things in it that I never heard preached before. And I didn't just take man's word for it. I would begin to search the scripture myself. And it's amazing how God, through the Holy Ghost, through the fivefold ministry gifts, through the apostle, the prophet, the pastor, the teacher, and the evangelist, plus the Holy Ghost living in me, that when I would go through scripture and they would go through scripture and I would hear what they said, then I could say, okay, let me go study that out because if it is what it is, God, then you'll confirm that. If it's not, you won't. It's amazing how people get upset or they get a little scared when something comes around, you know, like, oh, I I don't want to hear. Just go in the Word. If it's not right, you won't be able to prove it. If it is right, you won't be able to disprove it. But many want to hold to their ideals more than they do what God actually says. Now, why do I say all this? I say it because there is a move of the manifestation of the Spirit of God that is coming, that we need to get our minds around what it will look like and not have it steeped in something that is not the only way it will happen. The reason why, you don't want to be that believer, that person in covenant. Do you know there were people in covenant with God when Jesus showed up? They were in covenant. Israel was in covenant with God, but Jesus himself said, you have missed your day of visitation. I'm standing before you. I'm what everybody's looking for, and you have missed it. Why? Because they had an idea of what they wanted him to be, not what he was. And when he showed up, even though they knew he had authority, they knew he had to be from God. They liked their idea better than him. Now, somebody turned on the mic. Woo, glory to God. There I am. Hallelujah. You know, there's a lot of people that say, you know, certain uh, five-fold ministries, you know, don't even operate in the church today. That is ignorance. Gone to seed. Because, again, if this dispensation is the church, God said the latter reign or the latter form of the church would be greater than the former. How can the latter be greater if we deny gifts and deny ministry gifts that were necessary for the beginning? So the apostle and the prophet are still in the earth today. The teacher and the evangelist. We act like the pastor is the only person and the evangelist. But it's not true. And the minute you say, oh, I don't need a prophet in my life, well, you know what? You're unscriptural because the hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you. That's why when people say, well, I don't need to go to church. I have a personal relationship with God. Well, cut your arm off then. You don't need it either. No, you do need it. So you need to be here. I need you to be here. I need you. You need me. You definitely need Pastor Mark, although I almost revoked his ability to be here. Because his son has become a Georgia Bulldog fan. And I don't know what kind of false doctrine y'all preaching around here. But he was born in Florida. You need to leave him alone. He's a gator. He's deceived right now, but we're going to pull him back. And I told him last night, I said, if you don't get this right, I'm going to have your dad and your mom come back to Florida so that we can correct this problem. I have bragging rights this year so I can talk. I know you're saying, but wait till this year. We're going to beat you again. Hallelujah. Now, don't go quiet on me. 
See what you're doing? I see you're, you're kind of like Peter right now. Jesus said, I'm going to die. And he locked up. But he said, right after he said that, he said, but on the third day I'll be raised. Peter never heard that. So now don't discredit what else I'm going to say because I'm a gator friend. Don't get locked up like Peter. All right. Let's show some maturity. But there was a man of God in the earth. He's going on to be with the Lord. In the 1980, he saw some things in the spirit. I won't read it all to you, but I do want to read some excerpts. And I just want to read them for um, where we're going, okay? Um, again, this is something that he saw in the spirit. The word of God is the final authority. But I do believe that it's very interesting because, again, when we begin to deal with revival or the things of the last days, we need to understand uh, that the scripture supports uh, things that he said. And sometimes, again, we, a lot of times when we hear things from God, we typically translate that information from our current position. A lot of times God will give you a word, you're going through some things, and he'll give you a word, and you'll begin to immediately um, translate that or interpret it through your current condition, which it may be a five-year issue. It may be something that's going to show up 10 years later, and what you thought you heard or thought it was going to be then, it wasn't even that. It's something else, okay? So don't be quick to act like, you know, oh, he must literally mean this. Always leave room that there may be some future information uh, or revelation that can show up. But concerning the last days, he said this, and so these days will come, a mighty manifestation of the Spirit and the work God intended should be done in the last days shall be accomplished. How many believe we're living in the last days? I mean, you ought to believe that because you are the furthest generation to the return of Christ of anybody else. You definitely don't want to become the person that says, well, everybody's been saying that every year. Well, we're closer than anyone. And we all should have the hope of his return. He said, for the time is short and, must, and things must be speeded up. And it says, and you'll learn much faster spiritual things than, the, than those of yesteryear. And you'll develop much faster. And it will be say, said of some that they virtually matured overnight. And they shall go forth and speak in the name of the Lord. Because they understood the principles of faith. And they'll, and they under, and they'll understand the principles of the kingdom. And they'll understand the laws of God. And they'll operate and minister in that area. And nothing will be hid from them. And I find it interesting because if anything that we should make sure we understand is God's kingdom. Because the suffering servant is not returning. It's almost as if we're trying to preach the suffering servant back. But Jesus will not come back as a suffering servant. He comes back as a reigning king. Now he's always been king. He's never not been king. He just became the king who died for the nation. Are you hearing what I'm saying? He didn't come to be served but to serve and to lay down his life for us to have an opportunity to come in. Are you hearing what I'm saying? But when he returns, he will not return. Even when the catching away of the church, we're not going to go up to a suffering servant. We're going up to a king that's seated at the right hand of the Father. He's already on a throne. So we're going to a place of power, a place of authority, a place where it's already finished. We're going to a place to be with him. And here's the kicker. After the tribulation, we will come back to the earth with him and reign with him for a thousand years. Meaning, we'll be, we are already in God's government now. 
So don't be upset about the U.S. government. It won't last anyway. No governments of man will last anyway, but the kingdom will last forever. Are you hearing what I'm saying? But he said in these last days, people will grow up like overnight. Now, that doesn't mean you won't grow up without trial and tribulation. You do not mature without conflict. It just means you'll get in conflict more often and faster. <laughs> I remember one time I was preach, I was uh, having a confession that I would grow in the things of God quicker than those of the uh, before me and not to realize that trial upon trial upon trial showed up faster in my life as well. And so, you know, you want to, sometimes I was reconsidering my confession. Um, but at the end of the day, you want to grow up. And um, we're kind of like those 11th hour people that the master's like, why are you standing around? Well, nobody's called us in. Well, here I am. And he wants to give you the same anointing that in years past, it took people a longer process to operate in that anointing, to have the fullness of that payout, so to speak. God wants to be able to pay you in less time a full wage or everything you need for today. And so we should have that kind of expectation in these last days. And it says that there'll be a noise abroad, and men from afar shall hear it, and men from afar shall hear of it, men from afar shall come to behold it, for the Lord shall be in manifestation in those days. And here's what's important. In all ways that he ever manifests himself, both in the old covenant and the new covenant, plus the multiplying of the spirit and the power of God in these days. So when people are like, what's revival? And look, you're in the south, just like I'm in the south, because, you know, north Florida is more like, you know, um, the old south in that context, you know, as far as the way of living uh, is. Um, I get it. We're all about revivals where you kind of put a sign out and everybody comes to the church. But you got to understand, revival won't be just in the church. Revival will be in the church. We think of revival because typically if I talk to you about revival, you're going to say, well, that's every night for a matter of weeks. You know, we're having revival meetings, right? And that kind of gets in our psyche. But the reality is this last day isn't limited to being within this building hearing someone minister. It doesn't exclude it, but it's definitely not limited to it. So you got to recognize when revival's there. And he began to clearly communicate these things from this word saying, for men has grown even more wicked and more wicked, and, and as Satan, become, because he knows his time is short, and all of his cohorts and evil spirits go about as never before to devour, so the power of God, the glory of God, shall be increased and shall be multiplied. Now listen to this. It said, it will flow like a mighty river. Flow like a mighty river. Yea, the Spirit of God will flow like a mighty river, and many, not only hundreds, not only thousands, but millions will be swept into the flow of that river. And it shall flow forth in praise and glory. For the glory, the glory of the Lord is in manifestation. The glory of the Lord will be seen on the face of the saints. The glory of God shall shine forth until men will walk in a place of business and people will fall on their knees and cry out to God, though be nothing said. And women will walk into a place of business and people will fall on their knees and cry out to God, though she open not her mouth. For the glory of God will shine through. Yea, the glory of God will shine through. Yea, the glory of God will shine through. For the manifestation of his power and the manifestation of his glory is reserved until this hour. 
Now you say, well, how can that be? Well, have you not read in Scripture that when Moses was in the presence of God and the glory of God, when he came down off the mountain, that his face shined, that he ended up having to cover it with a veil? He didn't even have to talk, and all of a sudden, there was the glory of God shown on his face. And the move of God is not limited to, or revival is not limited to, being in a building for multiple nights. In fact, Moses was on a mountain where the presence of God came down. And we know he built a tabernacle where the presence of God would show up in the holies of holies. And then Solomon built a temple where the presence of God would show up in the holies of holies. But have you not read that you are the temple of the Holy Ghost? So if anybody ought to start radiating a glory, even now, it can be us because we're not limited to a mountain. We're not limited to a tabernacle. It lives in us. He lives in us. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And so this is very important because you need to get this, that you're the revival. You're a walking revival. You, if you'll do what I'm fixing to preach, because this is just introduction, and I'm not lying. Because the world has you. I mean, the world's got your attention. I mean, the world, man, I mean, through social media, through uh, cable, through uh, all the television stuff, I mean, you'll spend more time hearing all kinds of new. We know what took place in 2020. We understand where everybody got their source of information, who they allowed to be the final say on subject matters. I just want you to know the Lord is the expert. He is the expert, period. And at the end of the day, I don't care what any person ever says, I'll always consult God. Now, what about what that person says am I supposed to listen to? Because at the end of the day, only one person has supreme authority in my life, and his name is Jesus Christ. And he's not intimidated by nothing. Is that who you serve? Do you have his spirit? Oh, come on now. Well, if you don't believe it, then you're not going to operate in it. Amen. So he goes on and says this. He said, if it could be told, if it could be told in the way that you could see it, even with the eyes of your spirit, if it could be displayed at the moment before you in a tangible form that you could see with your physical eye, it would be very difficult for you to believe that which will shortly come to pass. It would be very difficult for you to accept it, but as you walk with the Lord, as you prepare your heart, as you feed upon the word, as you listen to what the Spirit says, as your heart, your heart shall be prepared and your mind will be changed until you flow in the supernatural as naturally as a bird flies through the air. Now, there were conditions there. you got to understand this. This doesn't happen not because you did anything. No, it's because you meet the condition. Are you walking with the Lord? Have you prepared your heart? Do you feed upon his word? Are you listening to what the Spirit said? Those have to happen. You cannot take any of those off the equation and expect to flow in the supernatural as natural as a bird flies through the air. Or to flow in the supernatural, he says, as naturally as a fish swim will swim in the water. He says, you'll flow... Uh, in the supernatural, as naturally as you breathe the very air, you'll not be conscious of your faith. You'll not be conscious of what's going on around you. But rather, you'll be conscious of the flow of the Spirit, and He will manifest Himself and will accomplish that which He desires. And I believe that He wants to do a great thing. You know what? The Bible says He's coming back for a church without spot 
or wrinkle, which means it doesn't mean we'll all be exactly the same because we'll still be on different spiritual levels based upon your own personal growth. But if I'm doing exactly what God has already revealed to me by the Spirit, I'm at least living that, then I'm blameless and holy. Now, if I know something about God or there's a way I'm supposed to respond and I'm rejecting that, I'm not yielding to that, then that's a problem with me. And where I've grown to, there's things I can't even think about going. I, there's ways people are living today that I could never live because I've been revealed things. I backslide. Even though for them, God's not even talked to them about certain things yet or dealt with them about certain things yet because that's exactly where they are. Now, what do I mean by that? I have nine grandkids, one great-grandchild. Now, my youngest grandchild, who's, you know, not even a month old, I don't expect that child to walk. So I'm not even, none of our, my, ki my kids, their parents, are not even trying to cause that child to stand up on its feet. Not even doing it. Not, does not have the expectation. Now, is it in the child to walk? Yep. Should the child walk? Yeah. Should the child talk? You bet. Should the child use a bathroom by themselves? Should the child learn how to eat by itself? But I can't expect it because it's not developed enough in this particular time of its life that I'm not putting that expectation on them. I'm going to wait till they mature in what they are already doing before we move them to the next level and begin to teach them, hey, there's another place to go. But I cannot go back and say, Marcy, feed me. Marcy, change me. Marcy, pick me up and dress me. That would be weird. <laughs> Abnormal. Yet I see believers that want to go back and then under the guise of religion, well, God's in control, I can't do nothing. So you lay around like an infant, and the Lord's like, no, I've done taught you how to walk. I've taught you how to pray. And you're not even going to talk to me, and then you're going to blame me for nothing happening? <laughs> Hallelujah. This is the verse we're using in Anchor Faith Church. What time do y'all normally leave? At, you know, 12, so that's like five minutes, right? <laughs> not today. <laughs> If you start dozing off, just stand up. I get it. Amen. Listen, I, I, I love you, and I, I'd love to just preach short all the time, but I'm always constrained. I've fought with this for years. I've even timed myself and watched timers go down. I actually purpose one Sunday, I'll only preach 30 minutes, and worship went for an hour and a half. <laughs> the Spirit of God moved and filled the space anyway. You know what he told me? He says, seriously, there's 168 hours in a, in a week, and they spend way more time getting a bunch of different information. He says, just condition them to receive, which means, you know, for some, you know, they're having to walk that last marathon. <laughs> they can't run it yet, uh, but we encourage them, stay with us. Come on to the finish line. We're going to make it, all right? In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, we're preaching this all the time down to St. Augustine and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You know, God has raised us up already. 
He's raised us to reign. We're not trying to get somewhere. We are somewhere. Okay? What, we're try- what we are doing is we're having to discover ourselves. Because, again, in a seed, everything that is necessary is already there. And when you plant it and it is released, when it comes up out of, you know, its shell, and it be- produces the plant that is supposed to produce fruit, it was there in the seed the whole time. It didn't become something new. It's just discovering what it already was. And when you get born again, our walk with God now is to discover what we already are. But it won't come without discovery, without you cultivating it. And again, when you, when you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, you were transferred out of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved Son. You were raised up, spiritually speaking, and seated at the right hand of the Father in Christ Jesus. We are already in a place of authority right now. We are. We don't have to get there. We are there. We just have to learn how to exercise the authority we've been given. Now, you might think, wait a minute, you're trying to act like God. I'm not trying. I am trying to act like God, but I'm not trying to be God. There's a difference. I'm not trying to be God because I'm not God, but I am God's child. And if God tells me I can, then who am I to argue with God and say I can't? No sinners do that because they're disconnected from the family. They don't know who they are. But when you're a child of God, then you're supposed to act like your daddy. And when you don't act like your daddy, you're a rebellious child. You're not a humble child. You're a prideful child because you want to argue with dad on what he says you can do. I just choose to believe dad at his word. And if dad said I couldn't have a relationship without Jesus, I'll believe it. But if dad says you're like me now because the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in me and the works that I do, you can do, then who am I to argue with dad and say I can't do what you did because you were God and I'm not? He said I made you to operate like me with my authority. You're not me, but you have my name, use my name, and exercise the authority and begin to show yourself. In the earth as a child of God. So if God's not working in your life, it's not a God problem. It's a self-discovery problem. But Spurgeon says this. He said, I believe that one reason why the church has so little influence over the world is because the world has so much influence over the church. (laughs) Now these lights aren't the world. Because you know who the Father of Lights is. The question is, is what's your lifestyle? How is the fruit of your life being represented? Or do you allow the things of the world, all the educated people and experts of the world, to dictate to you how you should respond to every situation? William Booth, who is the founder of the Salvation Army, he said this, the chief danger that confronts the coming century, and he was born in in the 1800s. He lived to about 1912, I think it was. So he was obviously talking about the 1900s. But listen to what he said. He said, the chief danger that confronts the coming century will, is that will? Will be religion without the Holy Ghost. Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, and heaven without hell. 
what insight? I said, what insight? And we're having this problem today. We, you know, we have a Christianity without Christ. But Paul knew this. That's why he wrote the third chapter of Galatians. Hallelujah. There are so many Galatians 3 churches all over the place, it's not even funny. But in Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, it says this, But may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The Passion Translation says it this way. It says, My only boast is in the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus, our Messiah, In him I have been crucified to this natural realm, and the natural realm is dead to me and no longer dominates my life. What? Isn't that amazing? Now, I could go to probably any denominational church right now, preach out of this particular passage of Scripture and get amens. But the problem is most of them don't understand what this even means. Because the first thing that we need to recognize about this particular passage of Scripture is that Jesus, the Lord Jesus, is our Messiah. The Greek word is Christ. That is not a... Last name, it is a title, and it, it, it literally means this. It means the anointed one in his anointing. But if you follow Scripture, what that means is that God would anoint someone to have authority and power. When the king saw when God was dethroned by his own nation because they wanted to see their king, he had the prophet anoint Saul, and it turned him into another man. The anointing is to turn you into another person. The anointing is not for you to use for your own pleasure, but it's to change you from your current state to something greater. And so it means the anointing and his anointed one, it also has to do, since it has to do in the lineage of king, it is saying this, this is the king who would come and establish his kingdom, and there's no end to it. And that's who Jesus is. Now, again, I've said this before, but it bears repeating. Everybody loves Savior Jesus, but Savior Jesus is what he did. Lord is who he is. If Adam had never eaten the fruit, Jesus never would have to be Savior. But he's always been Lord. I said he's always been Lord. But the reason why we love Savior Jesus is because we don't want to go to hell. We don't want to get punished for our wrong actions. You know, we want to get out of hell free card. But I really don't want you to be Lord of my life and tell me how to live. Because the boast of the crucifixion is not his death and payment of sin and then resurrection. What's so significant about the crucifixion? Because let me just give you a newsflash. Jesus is not the only person crucified. That is not something that he did as a solo thing no other human being has ever suffered a crucifixion plenty of people have suffered crucifixion then what's the real significance of the crucifixion it's what he's being crucified from see when he's crucified on the cross this is where the father does this turns away from the son he turns from him He won't look at him anymore. Now, why won't he look at him? Because the man who knew no sin became our sin. So the crucifixion is where all the sins of humanity showed up in a moment of time. All from Adam's transgression 
to the last person who will ever sin against God's throne. All showed up in a moment of time and landed on a man. God in the flesh. And the father had to turn his eyes away from Jesus. So all of the world's power that held man in its grips showed up on the life and body of Jesus. And that's why Paul said, I'll boast in this. Why? Because he cruised, his crucifixion gave me the right and put me in a position that sin that dominated was law in my life. The law of sin and death ruled me. I was subject to it. I had to do it. I couldn't help but do it. I wanted to do it. I craved doing it. I lusted after doing it. I didn't, when I didn't want to do it, I found myself doing it. But yet Christ crucified it so that it no longer has any authority in my life. So what we have to recognize here is that I've been crucified to this natural realm, and the natural realm is what? Dead. True revival will start in your life when all of a sudden the things of this world are actually dead to you. But yet many believers today, and I could, you could tell, you could go to churches in this town, just like I could go to churches in my town, where they are born again, and yet they keep, listen, how close can I get back to my old way of living, acting, and doing, and still be right with God? And here's the great deception. Many, I believe, because I have asked Lord into my life, then I can literally live back like this, and it doesn't even matter anymore. Because they're not dead to the world. That's why drinking is okay. And they'll find reasons why they can go out on their staff meetings with the rest of their pastors and begin to drink like everyone else. And then throw scripture in our face and begin to say, well, the Bible just says don't be drunk. Well, I used to drink, and I remember the first time I did, the first time. How many remember the first time you drank? The very first time I drank a beer, the first one had me buzzing. Have you ever heard the term buzz? I'm old enough. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. I don't know what they say today. I don't know what your little term is today. Okay, I was lit, a little bit lit. Three sheets to the wind. How many remember that one? Yeah, my dad used to tell me about that, and I've seen my dad that way. But the very first, I remember the first time I chewed tobacco, Red Man. Put one chew in my mouth. I was in Kmart in Gainesville, and I was, everybody said, don't swallow it, right? And I hate to throw up. My gosh, I hate to throw up. So I'm like, I'm not, and I'm inside, and my mouth's filling up with all this saliva, and you're like, bro, no, I wasn't dignified. I went over to one of the aisles, and I was like, spit in the aisle and just went on. God forbid I throw up. Now, I don't know who was having to clean the aisles, but that wasn't really nice of me. But in that one chew, I had a bug. It had already affected my mind. Because here's the deal. If you can say, oh, man, it doesn't, I can drink a six-pack and it doesn't bother me, that means you've conditioned your blood. You've already moved beyond. You have already violated. You are already at a place at one. 
even legally in our nation, one can get you popping hot on a breathalyzer. And yet you're going to sit in a restaurant and act all dignified with your Michelob dry and be a, a preaching on Sunday, but drinking and acting like it's not a big deal. And then you want to know why people aren't running to Jesus. Oh, but people are. Are you serious? Do you really believe that a person is fully giving their heart to the Lord, knowing they can keep their current lifestyle? Do you think the scripture is there for nothing when he says, many on that day will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we? And he'll say, depart from me for I never knew you. I was not intimately acquainted with you. It's what it literally means. He said, many confess me with their mouth, but their what? Heart. Because for them, who doesn't want that deal? And you cannot find that deal in scripture. What deal am I talking about? Listen, you don't have to change a dang thing. All you got to do is ask Jesus in your heart, ask him to come in and save you, and you'll be born again. It don't matter what you do. God don't care because you're covered. That is not in Scripture. That is not in Scripture at all. In fact, contrary to that is in Scripture. Because how could he have taken on the cross all the sins of the world that now I am to be crucified, dead to me? Dead to me. Right? Now, since I've been born again, have I had alcohol? You bet. But it wasn't because I wanted it. I was in Haiti one day. We are having communion. I was up front helping the pastors with the communion. My worship leader, Pastor Marcus, was in the back. He's only drank alcohol with me. Okay? I'll tell you the first time, and I'll tell you the second time. This is the second time. So the se- second time, we're having communion and have our little cup, and we drank it, and I realized, that's real wine. That's real stuff right there. I didn't lose my salvation, and I didn't even get a buzz. My point is, is that at the end of the day, I had no idea what was set before me, and I did. Now, my worship pastor, Marcus, he went like this and went, he looked like Barney Five, you know. Uh, His eyes got real big, and I just kind of hit mine. I was like, hmm. And I went to him and went. Now, the first time he ever drank alcohol, which was my fault as well, um, I actually went over as a youth pastor, bought a case of beer from the store next door, came back over, drained all of it out, drilled a hole in the bottom, and drained all of it, and then refilled it with apple juice, and then plugged the bottom, and we did a skit, and I preached a message called A Bud Wiser Than Beer, talking about the Holy Ghost. And I do this whole illustration because my brother-in-law at the time used to work for a place called Metal Container who made lids for Anheuser-Busch, and I could just get the lid by itself. But we would end up taking it, and he would pop the can, and then he would pour it in a cup so it looked like, you know, it was alcohol, and we'd do a whole skit, you know, about getting drunk, you know, and then they would take one cup that had chunky uh, Campbell's soup and put that in, and then you spit it out, you know, because, I mean, seriously, We know all those people who do this. Okay. My point is, is that a little residue, unfortunately, in the can, because it had a little, the the bottom of the can kind of went up in the center. That's a different design than when I was drinking. So I couldn't get it all out. And so he had a little residue. So it was, you know, not intentional. And we do not drink because there's some new wine that I'm on. 
That's even better. And besides that, my gosh, there's enough going on in the world that I don't need the world more confused. My, now, this is personal testimony. Please, you can do, don't stop doing this just because I did, but the Lord talked to me about it uh, because I, what kind of influence I have. He said, don't ever drink root beer in public again because the bottle looks too much like an alcohol bottle. And uh, he separate me from the group that makes it acceptable. And they'll have to stand before the Lord on that. Galatians 2.20 says this, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. So what makes you think you have the right to do what you want to do in your life anyway? At what point do you get to decide now? I mean, if you couldn't do it without him, why are you all of a sudden being born again trying to figure out how you can do it without asking? And, you know, that's a violation of even what Jesus did. Jesus said this, I don't do anything on my own accord, but only as the Spirit speaks to me. So if Jesus couldn't do anything on the earth without hearing, then what makes me think I can do anything on earth without hearing? But I've been redeemed from a lifestyle. So he said, but Christ lives in me in the life that I live now in the flesh I live by faith who loved me and gave himself up for me. Galatians 5, 19 and 20 says, The craving of the self-life are obvious. What are they? Sexual immorality, lustful thoughts, pornography, chasing after things instead of God, manipulating others, hatred of those who get uh, in your way, senseless arguments, resentment uh, when others are favored, temper tantrums, uh, angry quarrels, only thinking of yourself in love, being in love with your own opinions. Well, now, brother, you can believe what you want to believe. I cannot believe what I want to believe. I can't. Well, I believe. Where's that in Scripture? Because here's the thing. You and I should never come to a place in Scripture that we don't see it the same way. Because he's the spirit of truth. He's not going to tell you something and tell me something that are opposites. Somebody's wrong. And if we're honest enough, and really study it, and really get in there, then ultimately we're going to have to change our thinking. I, through the years, have said, I question everything I even know now. Because I want to always remain teachable. Because no matter how many times I've gone into the Scripture to determine is there another way than salvation through Jesus Christ, you can't find it. It's the only way. I've learned about the authority of the believer. I've learned about the power of the Holy Spirit. And besides, the power of the Holy Spirit, I don't understand why people get upset about that in the first place. It's just the language of the kingdom. We are in a kingdom where we have a king who actually is the author of all languages. And what does it matter if he gives you a heavenly one? Your mind is unfruitful to know, but your spirit, man, can yield enough to learn from what the Spirit of God is saying that Eventually, you might be able to understand what you're saying, but at minimum knowing, according to Scripture, that God's not going to give you something like an evil father would. But the devil convinces you so you won't operate in power and you won't pray out certain mysteries, and God can't use you in those areas because all of a sudden, you know, you got to know everything. I know that his spirit, speaking to my spirit, I'm releasing that 
language, and it doesn't bother me one bit. Praise God, it empowers me, strengthens me, and then opens up doors later on that I didn't even know were available at the time. He said, being envious of the blessings of others, murder, uncontrolled addictions, and parties, and all the similar behavior, having I already warned you that those who use their what? For these things will not. Inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I, I'm not going to preach on this subject, and I'm not even going to really say it, but I will say this. Adam was in perfect union with God. He was made in the image of God. There was no sin to him. His spirit man was a carbon copy of Jesus, of the Father. Yet, he lost his ability to be alive. He did. God didn't take it from him. He willfully released it. And if Adam, who walked in a time of the earth that sin wasn't even around, it wasn't even an obstacle, it wasn't even a problem, and he could relinquish it, don't think that your will in this dispensation, if things, if you have enough knowledge of things, that you can't relinquish things as well. Galatians 5, 24 to 25. Because one thing that will never change is your ability. This is why I love so awesome. He gives you the desire on your own. You got to do it. He doesn't make you love him. He'll never make you love him. You're proving now you love him forever. He said, keep this in mind that those who belong to Jesus, the anointed one, have already cruci experienced crucifixion. For everything connected with our self-life was put to death on the cross and crucified with the Messiah. We must live in the Holy Spirit and follow after him. Jonathan Edwards, who was uh, part of the um, um, Northampton revival in um, Massachusetts in 1735 said this. He said, how can you expect to dwell with God forever if you so neglect and forsake him here? Which brings us to Romans chapter 6. And I'll just try to read these contexts and then close out. I'm talking about revival. See, we have to find ourselves dead to the world. We got to get rid of this, you know, acceptable Christianity. Let me just say it this way, because this might blow your mind. Um, Jesus does not accept you as you are. That's a lie. I'm going to mess with your, your religion a little bit. But let's get it in context. Jesus is the door. Is he the door? Is he the gate? Okay. Are you a sinner before you knew Jesus? Separated from God? Dead to God? Can you do anything to make yourself right? Nope, can't do it. So the idea, come as you are, literally is this. I can't do anything so that when I get to the door and I, but you're not knocking anyway. That was the church that did the knocking and he'll let you in. So that's a whole other context. But um, when you get to the door because he calls you, he draws you by the spirit. It's not that he's going, you know what? You've done enough in your life to get cleaned up. Come on in. That doesn't happen. You couldn't. You came as a sinner, filthy rags. But 
God, when you got to this point, he said, you got to stop right here because I can't let you in like that. I'm going to have to change you. So when you confess me, Lord, the spirit that's dead, I'm going to push it out of your body. It gets pushed out of your body and gets left outside. Then I'm going to put a new spirit in you that's in my likeness and has my authority. And you get to come in now to the house. But here's the problem. You bring your old mindset in the house. And that's why the Holy Ghost gets up beside your new spirit inside and says, we're going to need to train you to think like royalty. And every time you go, yeah, but you know, it's all right if I, he's like, no, that's what that guy we left outside the door does, the guy in here. And if you said, but I like what that guy did out there. I want to go back to what that guy did. Uh, you got to accept me like I am. I should have to change nothing for you. He's like, I changed everything about you. You don't have a right now to keep your thoughts because it hinders who you are. I make a demand on you to change your thinking so that you can release this child of God that I made you because I need the world to know that my kids look different. My kids respond different. My kids act different. They're not even of the world we're of. How can you be playing in a world you've been crucified in and expect the world to want to run to your Jesus? When you cuss like everybody else, now I'm saying we, I'm not talking about you, right? I'm just, just generation. When people cuss like everybody else, drink like everybody else, gets mad like everybody else, gossips like everybody else, is in fear like everybody else, responds to situations like the rest of the world, and then you're going to throw a tag. Yeah, but I trust Jesus. Yeah, but you're acting like I am. Yeah, but I at least have Jesus. Well, what's he doing for you? Well, now, brother, when I die, I get to go to heaven. Well, good for you. That's not the children he wanted to leave on the planet. Hallelujah. He says so. Romans 6, 1, he says so. What will we do? Do we persist? This is the Passion Translation. Do we persist in sin so that God's kindness and grace will increase? And let me say this. Just because I'm using a translation is not the only translation I use. I use all kind of translations. Then I break it down to the original Greek. So please don't get miffed about a particular translation. We're just trying to help break it down in a way that you can understand it. Okay. What a terrible thought. What's the terrible thought? Is that you would persist in sinning. Ah, it's all right. I mean, God's grace covered me. I'm good. You are stifling greatness. You are Listen, when you stand before the Lord, he's going to be like, Now, Lord, it was hard. He goes, no, it wasn't. No. I put my seed in you. And you're going to talk to me about it was hard? No, the only thing hard was you changing your own opinion about it. You wouldn't let it go, even though I put the smartest person on the globe inside you. The greatest educator was living inside you. And you wouldn't even go to the source of the word. You just kept going to the world and responding that way. And a little trouble would show up. And then you get aggravated with God and blame him for stuff. And you didn't even talk to me about it in the first place. See, a revival is, is when we actually allow the things of God to manifest in our life in all situations. I'm telling you, when you see the majority going away, you ought to say, wait a minute. I don't know that's God. 
Because I'm going to tell you right now, do you really believe the world's going to get better? No. And man, it's easy for me to step back and say, if the whole world's responding away, not sure that's God. Because the world ain't connected to God like I am. There might be another way. There might be a better way. There might be a victorious way. There might be a way above fear. He goes on and says it this way. He says, what a terrible thought. He said, we've died to sin once and for all. A dead man passes away from this life. How could he live under sin's rule a moment longer? Or have you forgotten that all of us who were immersed into union with Jesus, the anointed one, were immersed into the union of his death, sharing in his death by our baptism means that we are co-buried and entombed with him so that when the Father ra- gl- Father's glory raised Christ from the dead, so we also raised with him. We uh, have been co-resurrected with him so that we could be empowered to walk in the freshness of a new life. For since we are permanently grafted into him to experience a death like his, then we are permanently grafted into him to experience a resurrection like his and a new life that it imparts. Could it be any clearer that our former identity is now and forever deprived of its power? For we are co-crucified with him to dismantle the stronghold of sin within us so that we could, would not continue to live one moment longer submitted to sin's power. Obviously a dead person, obviously a dead person is incapable of sinning. If we were co-crucified with the anointed one, we know that we also will also share in the fullness of his life. And we know that since the anointed one has been raised from the dead to die no more, his resurrected life has vanquished death and his power over him is finished. For we, for by his sacrifice, uh, he died to sin's power once and for all, but now he lives continuously for the Father's pleasure. So let it be the same with you. Since you are now joined with him, you must continually view yourself as dead and unresponsive to sin's appeal while living daily for God's pleasure and union with Jesus, the anointed one. The problem with the world today is believers living in the world they're not of and saying they're saved from it. When you stand, because we all will stand before the Lord. Now, we're not going to be judged according to our sin because God took care of that. But we will be judged at the judgment seat of Christ for how we behaved as his children and represented him on the earth. That will happen. And I can't. See, we have this misconception that the minute you go to be with the Lord, you're not going to cry. If you actually read Revelations, wiping away tears is at the end. When we get before the judgment seat of Christ, some of us might be very tearful. Because we realize the life you destined for me, I didn't even accomplish. And I have no excuse because you made me able in the spirit to do it and I just wouldn't give up my opinion it says some will be saved as though by fire now again at the end God's love and mercy and long suffering there's going to be a whole lot of great things associated with that but we live so temporary don't we 
We live for, you know, 80, 90 years. We put all our effort in a basket that's temporary. Because I realize every decision I make today actually has an eternal consequence. It actually, I actually can take it to heaven. You know, the old minister say, you know, I ain't never seen a U-Haul go to a funeral. I have one. And it ain't natural possessions. It's spiritual decisions that are going to follow me to the grave, through the grave, and before Jesus. And the only thing that stops revival in Valdosta is are they seeing enough glory in you? I'm not talking about, hey, I don't do it all right. I mean, let's get over that little testimony. Can we quit doing that testimony to the world? Man, I'm really no better than you. You don't even know who you are because you are better than the world. I mean, that's like saying God's no better than Satan. You're identifying with a man dead. Well, I'm just a sorry sinner saved by grace. No, you were a sinner. You're saved by grace through faith. Now you are a believer. You are a different species of being. If you study out a new creature in Christ, it's not a remodeled spirit. It's a brand new one that has never existed in your body before. So to say that you're not better is a lie, and to say that you're not better is not humility, it's pride. You should say, you could live a better life. You think you're better than me? I don't think I'm better than you, but the king said, because I'm a new creature in Christ, I'm better than those who are not. Because I have a capacity to overcome that you can't. And I won't let myself not overcome. I won't deny my witness to you to not overcome in this situation. Because I owe it to you to show that the children of God are alive and well in the earth and God's kingdom reign works. And it's not just one guy, but it's all of us who represent him and the works he did of laying hands on the sick, raising the dead, casting out devils. We can do if he authorizes and releases us to do so. We'll do it in his name and represent him on the earth. But bigger than that word, we can resist temptation just like him. See, that's the work we don't talk about. We talked about it, didn't we, teenagers? We talked about the work of resisting temptation. Because it said, the works that I do, you'll do. One of Jesus' works was to resist the temptation of the devil. And he was tempted on all accounts. Yet, you need to get revelation. I don't have to sin anymore. I don't have to. That don't mean you can't. That don't mean you may. And if you do, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all our righteousness. Hallelujah. But at the end of the day, I don't go into the day thinking, I'm going to blow it. I'm going to blow it, man. I'm just going to sin. I just know I am. I just know I am. I'm just an imperfect person. I'm not going to make it. I'm like, I'm in Christ. The Holy Ghost is in me. He can lead and guide me, and he's not leading me into sin. He's not leading me into temptation. He's not leading me to sin. No, he's leading me out of it. He's leading me to overcome it. He's leading me uh, in a way that I can be empowered over it. And when it shows up, I can resist it. I can go against it. I can say, not here, in the name of Jesus, not here. And that's when true revival will pop out because it's not just going to be in the pastor and the apostle and the prophet and the evangelist and the teacher. It's actually among the saints. 
This last day revival has more to do with you than it has to do with me. Although I have a role to play as a pastor and apostle, I have a role to play in the equipping, but it's to try to equip you so that when you go to school next year, when you walk on campus, all of a sudden it's like Jesus walked on campus. Because when your friend shows up because flu season's hit and they get sick, you'll say, well, let me just pray for you. Because if Jesus healed them and he allays me to pray for you, you're going to get healed today. And they're like, my gosh, how did you do that? I didn't do it. It was Christ in me. You know what? You can have it. How come you're not mad at the teacher? How come you're not upset? How come you're not cussing? Like, how much you're not talking? Because greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. I don't respond like the rest. How come you don't have a boyfriend or a girlfriend? How come you're not going out? Because I'm saving myself. How do you resist that? Because I cut off stuff that tries to feed me otherwise. You don't have to be on TikTok. You don't have to be on Snapchat. You don't have to be on Instagram to make it in life. Now, there's nothing wrong with it if you can resist the temptation. No problem. But if it starts to speak to you and get to you, then you're like, you don't own me. Delete. I've deleted a couple apps more than one time. Yeah, because all of a sudden, the app started pushing images towards me. I'm like, where did these come from? I don't search these. Why are they showing up? Oh, if you're going to keep showing up like that, watch this. Hold it till it starts shaking, you know, your app starts shaking like that. I got the little X, and you're like, boom. Are you sure you want to delete it? Yes. Give it 30 days off and bring it back on, and then it just stays what I want for a season. Then if it starts showing up different, I'll delete it because it doesn't own me. My phone doesn't own me. Pastor, where's your phone? I left it. It's not my idol. I don't have to have it. I'll close with this passage. Romans 13, 11 to 14 says this, to live like this, is all the more urgent, for time is running out, and you know it is a strategic hour in human history. It is a time for us to wake up. Say, wake up. Yeah. For our full salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Night's darkness is dissolving away as a new day of destiny dawns. So we must once and for all strip away what is done in the shadows of darkness, removing it like filthy clothes. And once and for all, we clothe ourselves with a radiance of light as a weapon. We must live honorably, surrounded by the light of this new day, not in the darkness of drunkenness and debauchery, not in promiscuity uh, and sensuality, not being argumentative or jealous of others. Instead, fully immerse yourself into the Lord Jesus, the anointed one, and don't waste even a moment's thought on your former identity to awaken its selfish desire. Every day, I'm in the word, finding myself to release myself because I've separated myself from my old identity. So much is dead to me. And all the allures of the world are dead to me. Meaning, sometimes when things show up, it sickens me. If sin doesn't sicken you, you're too close. 
You're having a love affair with her. Now, nothing shocks me because the scriptures inform me of what sin looks like. So I'm not shocked by it. But it does sicken me because it's not of my nature. My nature is in Christ. So my mind has to get around where my nature is. And that only comes from studying the word of God, rightly dividing it. I spend very little time in commentaries because people have slants. But when I do go, I don't take their word for it. And I've read through the Bible, Genesis 1-1 to Revelations 22-21 so many times now. It's very hard to pull anything over on me. Because the Holy Ghost in me, one of his assignment is to call all things to come to my remembrance that Jesus has said. And it's amazing when someone says something, I'll go, hmm, that ain't, that ain't right. And then the Holy Ghost said, yeah, that's right, it's not. And he gives me this scripture, this scripture, this scripture, this scripture, this scripture, and you dismantle it in a moment. But when somebody says something and you're like, hmm, that seems right. And the Holy Ghost said, yeah, that's right. And he'll give me this scripture, two, three, four. Usually gives me five or ten. That's why I preach more than two or three anyway. I only need two or three witnesses, but I give about five or ten. Because we're going to leave here knowing that we know that what God says is truth. And our life is able to be built on that truth. Amen. Let's pray. Father, with every head bowed and every eye closed, no one's looking around. I know I took them long today. But I take them long every time I come. Because we love them. And you founded a work in us to ignite the city, impact the nation, and influence the world. And it's not limited to one city. And I do believe, Lord, that you'll have more Anchor Faith Church churches pop up in our nation and the world, should you tarry. And so we've got to be unified. Our message has to be from the same spirit. If you're doing a revival in one location, you're doing a revival in another location. And this church doesn't have to be planted here 17 years like ours in St. Augustine to be able to walk in the fullness that we're walking in there. All we have to do is believe. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.